Welcome to Concerning CAMS, brought to you by Education Pathways. I'm Kevin Connickney, your host. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. Our topic today is insurance. Protect your association with risk management guidelines. Today, I'm here with Joe Thompson, a client advisor and partner with Gulf Shore Insurance. Welcome, Joe, to Concerning Camps, and could you please start by sharing your background in the insurance industry? Sure. Well, thanks for having me today, first of all. And just a quick background on me. I've been with Gulf Shore for almost eight years. Um, I am a partner and client advisor with the agency, so we work um, exclusively in the condominium association and, and HOA association niche with Gulf Shore. Uh, background related to what I did before I was with, with Gulf Shore is that I actually worked in the public sector as an analyst in Washington, D.C., and we did a lot of performance and management and risk management audits of different D.C. agencies and and programs and third parties. Okay. Sometimes unit owners gain approval to have work done in their unit, and sometimes things go wrong with an outside vendor. When peril takes place in the condo, is the association protected for such claims? So, yeah, it's kind of a multifaceted question. Um, There's a couple of different components to this. One would be vendors that are partnering with the association and the association has initiated the work versus a unit owner who's hired a vendor and the unit owner is kind of doing it on their own. So there's a couple of different ways to sort of, I say, regulate that. Um, But with respect to the unit owner first, let's give an example of like a unit owner complete renovation of the unit. So they're bringing in a general contractor who presumably is bringing in subcontractors and they're doing some major high hazard work to the unit, how do you regulate that? Well, typically in the context of maybe like a condo association, you have an architectural review committee. And typically what they do is they require that the unit owner provides obviously the specifications of the plans that they're going to be doing to their unit, but they also provide a certificate of insurance related to the vendor that they're working with. A lot of cases, the architectural review committee is just checking a box. They really don't look at the details of the levels of insurance and uh, they just assume that everything is is copacetic and, and fine with those coverages. So one of the things that we recommend is that associations use an independent contractor agreement, which would essentially provide the different limits of insurance that would be what we deem sufficient um, for different contractors to come on site in the event that they cause damage to the unit. Because in the context of a condo association, any damage, for example, the contractor hits a sprinkler head and, and becomes a water damage claim that goes into 10 other units and causes hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage, we want to find a way for recourse against that contractor versus the association's insurance being primary. So in order to do that, we can specify that these contractors are meeting the requirements of what the association establishes, and we're getting the association named as an additional insured on the contractor's policy. And they actually have to sign a contract that provides that additional insured status, because otherwise, most carriers won't provide the power of the additional insured status to the additional insured. Okay. I think I think to piggyback off of that response, when an outside vendor provides a certificate, perhaps even having a certificate naming the association as being covered, what should CAMs look for when they are presented with such a certificate? So there's a few things to be mindful of with certificates of insurance. I mean, the first thing to just realize is that a certificate of insurance is nothing more than a piece of paper that was generated by an agent somewhere that just says, here's the levels of insurance that my client has. So the first thing they need to realize is that there are actually certificate mills online where people can get 
phony certificates of insurance, which may not even be legitimate. So you have to watch out for that, number one, as a CAM. The second piece is that you have to know what limits to look for. Do they have reputable carriers? Do they have the right insurance? And those questions, typically, the CAM should consult with the insurance advisor first to understand what they are looking for. And part of that is knowing, does the contractor have the requisite limit of general liability, which the industry standard would be a $2 million general aggregate? Do they have the requisite limit of bodily injury on the auto, which would be a $1 million? So once those things are established by the association saying, hey, we're only going to work with vendors that have these limits of insurance, this is what you need to look for on all certificates of insurance is very important. The other thing too, and they can do this in consultation with the agent that they choose to partner with, they should know that there's specific types of vendors that have specialty insurance that may not show up on the certificate, that they need to verify that they actually have it. For example, landscapers, do they have pesticide and herbicide coverage? There's pool contractors that have to have a special coverage called pool pop, where the actual shell of the pool could pop out of the ground due to pressure issues if they're doing pool maintenance. So those are things they really need to look for and be mindful of, in addition to making sure the association is named as an additional insured. We want to make sure that the vendor's insurance is something that we call primary non-contributory if there's a claim. So you want to ensure that the vendor's insurance responds wholeheartedly in primary, their insurance is exhausted first, and then only after that would the association's insurance pick up any part of the claim. So in order to pull all that together, there needs to be an independent supplemental independent contractor agreement in place with those outside vendors that the association does business with. So it all ties in to that certificate of insurance, but it's very important. I'll give you an example. A client of mine was doing a big re-roofing project, and you know she told me that she'd gotten the certificate of insurance. She sent it to me, and it was the first thing I noticed was that it was a two-year-old certificate of insurance. So again, it was a quick glance. They thought it was a sufficient certificate, but it wasn't. Clearly, we don't even know if that, that vendor had insurance at that point until we got the right certificate. So really take those with a grain of salt because they're really not worth the paper they're printed on until we do some verification and um, making sure that they're legitimate in terms of where it came from, the limits, are the carriers AM best rated companies, are they are they reputable, things like that. So there's a lot that goes into the analysis to ensure that the association is adequately protected with folks that are coming on site and what their limits of insurance are. Okay. Well, given some of the issues that you've just outlined, uh, should an association have a preferred vendor list for owners to use when they're doing work in their in their units? Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing that's difficult to regulate because, of course, unit owners can call really whoever they want. They can call a handyman that doesn't even have a license. I mean, anything like that. So it's hard to regulate who's coming and going. Um, but it doesn't hurt for an association to you know, establish a list of I would hesitate to use preferred vendors because if something goes wrong, then that could fall back on the association where a unit owner could say, well, you told us to use these. They could just say, hey, here's a list of vendors that we've sort of vetted through our insurance agent who's looked at their insurance to say that they have sufficient limits of insurance, they're reputable companies, and we feel comfortable as an association if you were to call one of these vendors to do business in your unit. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. Now, mandating that they use those companies is a little bit more difficult because they certainly don't have to do that if they don't like the price that they get from those people or what have you. So that's the dicey thing that's a difficult piece to regulate. But in the context of major unit work, when there's an actual renovation of some level, that's when the association can regulate it through the architectural review committee level to make sure that those general contractors are in compliance with the overarching global requirements of the association with respect to the insurance. 
Just a follow-up question. So are, are you saying that you think it's it's reasonable for CAMS or an association to reach out to their insurance provider to ask them to look to see if this uh, this uh, vendor that's coming in, if their insurance is actually, quote-unquote, legitimate? I do. I think it's a, it's a great idea. Uh, and I think the, the good agents out there are already doing that for their clients. But I do think it's a very prudent suggestion for a CAM to reach out to their agent to have them take a look at not only the certificate of insurance, but also the contract that the vendor is putting into place with the association, if in fact that's the context that you're referring to. Okay. So a different take on the question, we just talked about what happens when a unit owner has somebody coming in and making sure that they're insured so that there isn't liability for the uh, association. But what about when a CAM uh, or an association board is having major work done? What are some of the things they have to think about when they're bringing in an outside contractor to do major work, like a roofing project or a new swimming pool, things like that? So any anytime it's a it's a high hazard type activity, if you're you're re-roofing or there's electrical work involved or anything structural, you really want to ensure that they have sufficient limits of insurance, right? So that's really the number one thing and. How do you establish that? How do you know as a CAM what those what those limits should be? Well, you should be consulting with your insurance agent or advisor on that. Um, and there should be some level of um, a third-party sort of agreement related to independent contractors that establishes that the association has those limits of insurance that they require vendors or companies to have in order for them to come on site to the property. Um, in other words, there's minimum standards for ABC Condominium Association Inc. says, hey, if you want to do any work here, you have to have at a minimum $2 million of general aggregate general liability. You have to have a minimum of a $1 million umbrella. And oh, by the way, you have to have reputable carriers like A-rated, AMBS carriers. And th- those are things that are very at a basic level that CAMS could look for to ensure that those vendors that are coming on site at least have those things because those are very important because if you're dealing with a property damage claim or, you know, heaven forbid, a bodily injury or a death claim, those are the types of coverages that would be triggered. And the last thing we want is the association to be pulled into that, which they will be because they'll be named in any type of a lawsuit associated with something that happened on property. We don't want the association's policy picking up those claims. We want that vendor, his policy to pick up those claims. And the only way we can ensure that happens is to make sure that their insurance, that good insurance that meets those requirements, we have the association named as an additional insured. So we want to make sure that that association is getting the power of additional insured. The only way to do that is through a supplemental contract apart from the contract that the association signs with the vendor for them to commence work on the property. So it's it's a it's a little bit of a two-step process, almost like a recurring service agreement that CAMS could establish um, you know, with the help of their agent with these companies before they actually commence work on the property. So it's really important to pay attention to the limits, uh, the reputability of carriers, also looking at the effective dates of the policy because a vendor could come in and give you a certificate of insurance that shows that their policy is expiring in three days and they're about to start re-roofing the, the association. So how do you know if they, they actually re-up the coverage? You don't know um, until you get a new certificate. So things like that, very important to look for, um, but ensuring that we get additional insured is, is of the utmost importance for the association because you're establishing those minimum levels of, of requirements for people to do business with the association. Joe, thank you for joining us today on Concerning CAMS to discuss insurance and protecting the association with the risk management guidelines. If listeners have additional questions, how can they best reach you or your associates at Gulf Shore Insurance? 
Well, thank you so much, Kevin. Appreciate the opportunity. And if anybody has any additional questions, they can always reach me directly on my on my cell phone, um, which is 239-465-7029, or they can email me at jthompson at golfshoreinsurance.com. Excellent. We have your uh, website as www.golfshoreinsurance.com. So we will include this contact information in the episode notes for the podcast. Again, thanks very much. You got it. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin.